This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Monday, 24th of October, 2022. A very interesting uh, conclusion to last week as we saw a really a complex of things happening. I think a lot of it driven by what seemed to be intervention in dollar-yen. Huge volatility there. I'll get to it in a moment. But uh, associated with that, we also saw treasuries turning around from uh, yields spiking higher to, uh, to heading back lower and a sudden improvement in risk sentiment in the U.S. I think some of these are sort of correlations and algorithmic sort of uh, reactions to across markets. But um, uh, a strong session on Friday, if you look at where we closed, but I'm not sure so sure what the information value uh, is there. But we, we have an awful lot of things to go through today and especially uh, what's going on in, in uh, China. We'll get to that in a second, the China bit, because I think it's actually one of the most interesting things out there. But uh, Peter, I, I don't know if you uh, share my assessment of uh, probably misleading <laughs> late session in the U.S. on Friday. Yeah, we, we, you and I have had that discussion for over, well, almost 10, 10 trading sessions now, John, that, that you know the signal-to-noise ratio has really come down a lot. There's, uh, there's a lot of derivatives trading uh, back and forth. There's a lot of uh, technical trading uh, tricking all sorts of levels. Um, so we have been sort of putting out the narrative that uh, you know everyone should not put too much weight on what's going on right now. The medium-term outlook for U.S. equities is still down, and uh, just as uh, you know, last week we had another big week in in bond yields, long-term bond yields in the U.S. with the ten-year rallying. So um, there's still pressure going on in in equities. But I've I've highlighted on a slide too the the weekly theme baskets because I, I really think that you know if you look at the top three, maybe top four. It's those four themes, all driven by geopolitical risk. And I think that's a nice bridge uh, uh, leading into our China discussion. But look at it. I mean, cybersecurity, defense, semiconductor, nuclear power. It's all big macro, cyclical, uh, not cyclical, sorry, secular trends going forward. Uh, and, and to me, it just when you look at these flows and what have happened this year, it just you can really sense that a lot of long-term equity investors are really beginning to question some of the thoughts and, and ideas over the past, uh, you know, uh, five, seven, ten years and, and really pivoting towards new themes here. And, and I think that's it's crystallized over the past week as well. Yeah. And then on slide three, the lead in there. Uh, the, so the Chinese equity market, at least the, the Hang Seng there in Hong Kong and Hong Kong essentially is uh, China's financial gateway to international markets. Uh, not a vote of confidence in this leadership transfer where she is essentially kicking out anybody that could be considered of a different um, uh, ideological stripe or a different faction. Traditionally, there have been some multiple factions in the, uh, in the Chinese Communist Party, even though it rules as one party. Uh, and this, uh, the big, I think the big uh, single fact, there's endless analysis you can read on this, was the fact that this uh, Li Keqiang was not uh, reappointed to the, uh, to the uh, even to the, whatever it's called, the 205-person body, and therefore not in the seven-person body, which is the standing committee. He was seen as the protege of the former leader, Hu Jintao, who was seen as market friendly. And uh, this uh, the lack of that appointment was seen as a strong sign together with other figures. And it's all Xi loyalists. Uh, the guy really getting a, a strong promotion. This uh, Li Qiang was uh, was uh, responsible for the very vicious crackdown on Shanghai during the COVID uh, zero COVID policy efforts there that led to people, you know, people complaining about starving in their apartments because the uh, lockdown was so vicious. So, um, yeah, we have, have a picture there, and it's a picture that suggests uh, poor, uh, potentially poor shareholder returns for foreign investors, common prosperity, et cetera. 
so I think that's how the markets have voted here uh, overnight. But I'll, I'll let you take over with some some further thoughts. Yeah, I think when uh, when Xi Jinping said that he admired uh, Mao and uh, wanted to pursue that route, um, I think nobody had really the the fantasy to uh, to you know think what that meant. But uh, over the years, that that uh, idea have come to fruition, and um, I think we we really reached a, a milestone here with what happened over the weekend because um, the more you know, the post Mao vision of the of the ccp was you know as you said was you know a party with different fractions you know there was a you know a leadership transition going on every uh, second term you had different fractions so you had different opinions being exchanged and now we just we are going back to sort of a, a, a mao uh, you know framework um and as you said the the market in, in hang seng is, is voting pretty clearly and i think one of the things we should mention as well is that there is a quite a startling differential between what's have happened in Hang Seng uh, overnight um, and uh, and the CSI 300 which is a it's a it's a combined index if you will of the largest stocks on the Ascension and Shanghai Stock Exchange and the the difference is around three percentage point and I think that difference is 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 all due to the differences in foreign ownership and the accessibility to that market and uh, and if you look at the Hang Seng index so the price index not the total return it looks bad but not as bad but if you look at the price index itself for the hang saying we, we we are reaching levels we haven't seen since 2005 so 17 years ago um and we are at the uh, you know the lows for the financial crisis um so it's uh, it's quite a, it's quite die out there uh, for chinese equities and uh, and i think i've i've been touring around you know at least around two years uh, on this notion that when Xi Jinping coined the common prosperity, I think in plain English, if you are cynical and not, you know, uh, th th then you would interpret that as, well, not good for shareholders. And I think that will continue to be the case. And if you look at the the, the price earning uh, forward ratio here, it's, it's now dipped below eight. And so that classic value investor uh, on a country level, if you will, would say, oh, this is very, very, very cheap. But uh, I am becoming becoming old enough to remember my early days at Saxo when I was traveling in Eastern Europe and we always had the Russian clients asking, so why, why is Russian equities not bid up? I mean, they're so cheap. Well, there's a political risk premium and uh, and that political risk premium stayed and it even increased over the years under Putin's uh, um, rule. And, and, and now you're seeing the same political risk premium being built into Chinese equities. It, it is quite a remarkable turn of events that is happening. And um, yeah, we will, we will write some uh, some notes on what's going on here and how to interpret it. And now my final point before we move on, and I think this is the most important one, is, and I'm not an expert on this, but if you if you are a company like Tesla and and, uh, and Apple, Apple has 20% of its business China, it, it is an increasingly difficult position because to what extent is that 20% free cash flow coming out of China? What, how tangible is that for Apple? Can it be used for buybacks for foreign investors You know, in foreign exchanges? Can it be paid out as dividends? What are the sort of the rules for, for that? Uh, or should those free cash flows come with a, a significant risk premium? That's, I think, is really the major question that everyone has to ask themselves this week. Uh, not to mention, uh, in Apple's case, that some of the production still happening, of course, in China. Yes. Of actual handsets that are that are being sold elsewhere in the world, not just the local uh, uh, final sales in that country. Exactly. All right, let's uh, let's have a look at uh, what I was discussing as well. This dollar yen move on Friday. So just for to to refresh your memory, if you've <laughs> forgotten, 
We blasted above 150 after a very brief pause last week, uh, already on Thursday, and it fo- followed through all the way uh, almost to 152 at one point. And then what obviously appeared to be intervention, but the, this time around, uh, Japanese official is, is keeping their cards uh, close to their vest, not wanting to confirm or deny this before. In previous cycles, they've uh, been happy to admit that they were out intervening. Also, they're happy to intervene in non-Asian hours. This is a new, uh, a new twist on things that was not the case back then either. So uh, intervention can come at any time. And when it came, uh, it, it certainly triggered quite a reaction. We traded uh, sub-147 after nearly 152, so a greater than 500 pip range on Friday. We've since rebounded, and uh, I just wanted to show on slide four how this uh, coincided with, uh, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm having a hard time connecting the dots here, that the U.S. Treasury market, so yields peaking out there, that's in blue, and then rolling over, you would think if... Uh, uh, if Japanese officialdom is, is buying Japanese yen, they might be selling treasuries to fund some of that, whatever. But that's apparently not the uh, not how we're supposed to, to see this. And, and in any case, U.S. yields coming in much lower. And then it should be mentioned that we saw uh, Wall Street Journal's uh, Nick Tim Rouse, the so-called Fed whisperer, out sort of confirming the maybe the more dovish version of what the market is already pricing. And that is that the Fed will do the 75 basis points uh, next week, uh, but is maybe going to start debating whether to downshift in December. And then obviously early next year, which is already sort of priced to happen. But I think this uh, this does appear to to be one of those little indicators that uh, the Fed is happy for the market to price what it has been uh, pricing. In terms of a slowing of tightening, this does not mean any indication of rate cuts. Uh, but uh, we've seen the entire U.S. yield curve actually dropping some 20 basis points uh, from that peak on uh, Friday. And this also coincided, just to highlight on that, that slide, that was also the timing was all lining up. That also coincided with when the uh, equity market rally uh, appeared there on Friday. Uh, and then briefly on FX, uh, and we do have Ola Hansen here on the call. So just to hang on for a second, Ola, sorry to be so long to get to you. Um, but uh, the other thing going on in FX is the resilient Sterling. Uh, Boris Johnson bowing out of the battle to become the next uh, prime minister. I was really surprised his candidacy was so seriously considered. Um, even if he does want to mount, mount to come back, it seems like uh, a future timing would be better than the current timing. Who wants this uh, poisoned chalice? of uh, becoming the uh, next prime minister. I'm not sure I understand, but uh, Rishi Sunak could become next prime minister as early as today if Penny Mordaunt can't get the 100 votes that are required for support, uh, I guess, to go have, have some sort of runoff. So this could happen already today. The markets are giving his uh, uh, potential uh, winning a vote of confidence. So we see Cable trying to edge towards 114. I'm not sure I understand what uh, Sunak is going to bring to the table. It really changes the underlying fundamentals. If anything, so uh, watching potentially for this move to fade, but if it doesn't, uh, of course, we're breaking above 115. There could be a further room for it to squeeze higher. Elsewhere, obviously, Japanese yen volatility, uh, the pressure could remain to the downside there as long as we're uh, as long as yields uh, bounce back and don't go below four percent in the U.S. 10-year. And then the Chinese yen would be really worth a look here. It is becoming more isolated its weakness uh, across the board. So. Uh, with this, uh, as we said, vote of confidence against uh, what's going on in China. Interesting to see what scale uh, the currency, on what scale the currency comes under pressure as we've traded close to those highs for the cycle here in dollar C and H. All right. We also have a story we covered quite a bit last week, oh, this uh, dropping uh, spot price in uh, natural gas uh, here in Europe. Uh <laughs> And the irony that we could be headed for even lower levels uh, for, for short-term gas, even though the longer-term situation has not really uh, resolved in any, any meaningful way. Exactly, John. And uh, there's a lot of talk about the political will to uh, bring down prices. But uh, the fact uh, 
the main the main driver right now is just simply you just have to look out the window uh across europe it's warm it's uh forecasts are looking for temperatures to be four to eight degrees higher across continental europe uh, this this coming week uh, compared to the normal average that is obviously keeping demand well down and that's at the same time where we've got lng ships uh, lining up to deliver their cargoes uh, basically a lot of congestion on on the supply side uh, right now this just driving the the spot price uh, down so we hit 100 uh, euros in uh, per megawatt in early trading low since june and uh, there is actually not a WTI moment like we had in 2020 but there is a risk that we could see spot prices drop further but uh, it's not a reflection of the the overall situation for that you uh, i recommend people just to continue to keep an eye on on, on contracts trading a bit further out so i'm watching still that november february 23 spread which is uh, now showing that february is trading 40 euros above uh, the, the 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 november contract so um but generally as you can see also on slide six flows into europe it's only down around 12 uh, year and year that is uh, probably we at this point in time we've probably seen demand destruction on a on a greater scale than that uh, or lower demand in generally not only from the destruction but also from the the milder weather we have so uh, short term at least the the outlook looks uh, looks uh, has improved for for european consumers yeah and then on the copper market dr copper not wanting to send any signals we had that big crush in prices back over the summer and we've just been triangulating since then what's what's going to get us to break out of this uh, range here well, we need to, uh, I think, just like oh, most other commodities, especially the metal space, we need to find uh, the peak uh, level of yields in the US and with that potential also a weaker dollar. Uh, we just saw a, a slight uh, warning of that on Friday, as you mentioned in the, in the on the FX space, John, with the the uh, obviously what's happening in dollar-yen, but also the general dollar weakness that we saw Friday afternoon, uh, driven by this expectation or, or speculation that we are, that the FFMC is perhaps uh, changing their tone a bit uh, in, in the coming meeting. So um, that will be a, a, a change but i think what's important to point out as well uh, from the news that we're gathering uh, following this uh, monthly uh, import data from from china is that the commodity uh, the copper demand remains uh, strong inventory levels are low um, so they're building stocks but also the, the 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 demand towards clean energy projects is rising and any any input to the chinese economy right now from the government of uh, is likely to be concentrating on on the uh, projects that uh, that that will continue to reduce their overall uh, demand for fossil fuels so um, so that's just another um, another layer of support for for copper but as you can see on the chart as you mentioned john we've been range bound since july we there's not really the chart is not telling us anything right now we need to break above at least that 350 to begin with but probably more important that that 375 uh, area in order to attract some renewed uh, demand from speculators who've been holding in a short to uh well but they've been trading copper from a short position at least for the past uh, six months okay Let's look at uh, back in equities. This is a massive week for earnings. You've got a huge uh, list there on slide nine, but uh, you're bringing up uh, for stocks to watch today, Phillips. I'm looking at that chart, really stunning. This is a big uh, company that's a household name. Is uh, is this becoming a value company at some point or are they just in a in a downward uh, tailspin for, uh, for forever? What's going on here? Really good question, John. Um, well, there's certainly value in 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 Philips, no question about that. It it the problem for Philips is the same problem we have seen at, you know, Siemens, General Electric, etc. These old uh, industrial conglomerates that goes back to the they all go back to this to the 1960s basically, and it that was where the conglomerate idea was the uh, was the biggest and 
you everyone was riding uh, the wave but you know the the modern version of the portfolio management management in the corporate world is that you know simplicity we want very simple exposure and simple businesses because if we want the if we want the diversification benefits that an industrial conglomerate can give you we can build that ourselves in the portfolio so we you're seeing we're seeing this trend from Siemens, you know, streamlining their businesses. The same with General Electric. 3M is going through the same uh, oper- uh, transition right now. And Philips is the same. But it has been a mess. Uh, they've been too slow, uh, too much bureaucracy, um, no, not enough good performance. And I mean, as you said, I mean, if you look at this, uh, you look at this price chart, it's, it's really sending a strong signal. And I think despite of revenue and EBITDA uh, or EBITDA, EBITDA, sorry, uh, reaching or being in line with estimates to today on their Q3 result, the the price performance is sending such a strong signal to the board of directors that something has to change. And they are issuing a, a rather big restructuring of the business. They're laying off 4,000 employees, which is, uh, which is a considerable uh, amount of employees. I think the, I can just, type it in here just to get to perspective right so it's they have just slightly below eighty thousand people so it's five percent of the of the staff but it's still a that massive company and they they basically need to slim it down to the most profitable business uh, segments i would say two or three and then move on from there all right let's uh on the earnings slide here there are so many names maybe we should just concentrate <laughs> on uh we have a couple today but uh, maybe just tomorrow so that we could take it one day at a time uh, as we head through this uh, this uh, yeah. last this week. It's a good idea. Let's take it one day uh, at a time. So tomorrow, we have DSV uh, here in Europe, a massive company in logistics, uh, rumored to actually be taking over uh, Schenker, which is the German government's uh, logistics business. We have SA, uh, SAP and HSBC as well, Novartis in, in Europe, very big names there in uh, software, banking, and pharmaceuticals. Then the uh, the triangle or triad, uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, and, and Visa reporting. Those three big names are all uh, top 10 or top 15 names. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit mistaken on Visa, but I think top 15 names uh, from those three. And then Texas Instrument, top five name in the semiconductor industry. UPS, massive logistics company as well, competing with DSV in many areas. General Electric could argue 3M as well on that industrial angle. And then Enphase Energy is one of the biggest and hottest uh, renewable energy stocks we have in the US. Incredible share price performance. I mean, if you bought that just five years ago, you would be golden by now. And then you have uh, Halliburton, uh, which is one of the best forward-leading indicators we have on the oil industry because any ramp-up in CapEx will be will be felt by Halliburton and other, other of these oil services companies. Um, and then I, I haven't really highlighted, but Spotify, you could argue, being as well a, a pretty wild, uh, you know, viewed technology company could be interesting as well. Okay, let's look at the uh, macro calendar as well for the week ahead. Pretty interesting in, in a couple of aspects. Today, we have all the preliminary uh, uh, PMIs for manufacturing and services. The ones for Europe are out before we're, we'll, you'll be hearing this, uh, this podcast, but uh, have a look at those. The UK and the US also up later today. Um and the Eurozones have been mostly solidly below 50. So if there's any surprise there, it'd be interesting to watch. Uh, tomorrow, the October consumer confidence that correlates generally, historically speaking, with the labor market. And it's been taking back higher. So the U.S. jobs market remains tight. Interesting to see if the Fed is going to have the luxury of being able to decelerate its pace of tightening, uh, given where the U.S. jobs market is and, and potentially where wages are as well. 
uh, CPI out of Australia, uh, Bank of Canada, they're probably going to go 75 after the hot CPI print. ECB will have to go 75, but how do they guide in the whole debate around quantitative tightening? Very difficult to see how they're going to carry that out. We have to see how this new Italian uh, government finds its feet it, as uh, we see it's uh, getting underway here with a new uh, first female prime minister and right populist Maloney in charge. Uh, and then uh, the Q3, the first uh, estimate of Q3 GDP, expected positive after those two nominally uh, slightly negative numbers in the prior two quarters and a Bank of Japan meeting as they continue to try to you know, remain this uh, unmovable object in a sea of tightening central banks. So it's it's a very interesting uh, uh, meeting there. The communication uh, task there is not enviable, I, I would argue. Uh, especially given where that Tokyo CPI may have just been released uh, before that meeting. And PCE inflation, the last, probably last major U.S. data point ahead of, uh, uh, I guess we'll get the ISM manufacturing ahead of the uh, next week's FOMC meeting. And you can see the other longer term event risk there on slide 10. So interesting week ahead for uh, macro, certainly for earnings. And uh, and we've just had an interesting, crazy, uh, pretty zany a uh, bit of price action on Friday. It's interesting to see how the market uh, gets underway this week, also with the geopolitical situation and uh, especially how the market has greeted this uh, this new uh, third term that's getting underway soon with Xi Jinping in China. So stay careful out there and we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>